0: Boys, how long we been on this here pod? Be it two years, two days, twenty minutes? Methinks it'd be near Halloween tide, but there is no Halloween at sea What are we gonna do? Oh I reckon we pull out the the Bailey watch
1: (laughs) 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 and shrapnel the
0: gunplank. Until all of the Wiccans be chirping like the Marnin' do. Aye, that seems the best course of action. I be Matisse Van Rossum, and I have spilled me beans. God damn it, you pulled mine! (laughs) Ah. (laughs) Call me Ishmael, or uh,
1: Winslow, or or Ben. One of them. (laughs) I'll be cleave, and I'll be a disgruntled <laughs> sailor, for I was being to say, I'm thinking about them beans that ye spilt. <laughs> oh, but oh, it has been
0: taken from me. The beans have been taken once again. Aye, aye, lad. Much like my true love, lost at sea. Happy Halloween, <laughs> folks. It's that time again, and it's our third Halloween episode. And this is our first Halloween episode that isn't particularly Halloween-related but it is spooky. It is spooky, and it's not Halloween-related for a good reason. We have a special occasion. The Lighthouse is out, and we finally saw it! Hooray! Yeah! For those who have maybe been living under a rock or perhaps in the depths of the sea, The Lighthouse be a 2019 film (laughs) written and directed by Robert Eggers, uh, also known from The Witch, one of our favorite films on the podcast. It stars Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. It be the hypnotic and hallucinatory tale... Of two lighthouse keepers on a remote and mysterious New England island in the 1980s, 1890s. <laughs> i you the Thatcher here.
1: <laughs> Yar, I biffed <missed> it. <laughs> I remember them like they were yesterday.
0: Wouldn't that be funny if it was actually <laughs> like just, 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 in just said in 1980s?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Amazing.
0: It's going to be really hard for me to not do that voice for the entire podcast. Who says you? You don't have to. For the sake of our listeners and their tender ears. uh... (laughs) Maybe Um, we'll put so much fun. We'll pepper pepper it in here and there. Peppered like a nice roasted leg of
1: lamb at sea. Or a leg of lobster. (laughs) Sea lamb.
2: (laughs) Aye, that's what they call it, don't you know? (laughs) I want to just right off the bat say, if you like The Witch, or if you're interested in this movie whatsoever, and you haven't seen it, Go Just see go it. Go see it. Don't listen to this yet. Listen to this afterwards.
0: Yeah. Spoilers. Cause... Spoilers from here on out. I'm not pussyfooting around. Oi, we're going to be spilling the beans.
2: Yes. Beans will be everywhere.
0: Until we're up to our necks in them. <laughs> <laughs> Aye. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's so, a great bit. <laughs> spoiler warning from here on out. So this is the second film from Robert Eggers, who we all know and love. What are some of y'all's initial thoughts coming off of, fresh off the back of this beast? Loved it. Loved it so much. Did it live up to
1: your expectations? It did. It really did. I meant it when when I asked if we could see the next show when we walked out of the movie theater. Like, I already want to watch it again. I wanted to watch it, watch it again while we were watching it. Ben, I, I like. Yeah,
2: I thought it was incredible. I thought it actually exceeded my expectations, mm-hmm. and I actually think I prefer it to The Witch.
0: Really? Ooh, this is
2: this tale. is this is early, so I I need to let it digest. I mean, we literally just came out of it.
0: I won't make that claim yet, because when I did see The Witch. There's just so much to take in that I didn't get it all on the first viewing, and my appreciation for The Witch grew with multiple watches. And I feel kind of the same about this movie. I thought it was excellent. I didn't come out of it overwhelmed, but I I thought that it was a really fucking damn good film. It's similar to how I felt about The Witch, and I think that on subsequent rewatches, I don't know where this one's going to land cuz it's it's fucking good and it feels like a logical succession from the witch for yes. for Robert Eggers as a filmmaker. I Once think, again, not a sophomore slump. No, that is yet True. another I think this this year this has year, just
1: disproven that concept yeah, for me entirely. This
0: year is the year of the fucking powerful second film. The sophomore bump, if you will. I love it. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. 2019 sophomore bump, baby. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> I think what really elevated this film for me is the two excellent lead performances. Yes, yeah. Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson uh, both put in A-plus performances here.
0: Yeah. I think uh, if, if anybody is not sold on Robert Pattinson as an actor at this point, then I think you'd definitely need to see this movie i've been sold on him for a little while uh i think he uh has well distanced himself uh from twilight he's as, a, he as set he, out to
1: legitimize as his as he career and he's done it yes yeah yes. and i
0: yeah i applaud that yeah this is just yet another stellar performance from him and i mean when has willem dafoe ever given a bad performance yeah
2: Willem Dafoe in particular steals the show. In I think this so, movie, in yeah. my opinion.
0: What I like about them as characters playing off of each other is that Willem Dafoe is kind of a caricature, and he I, is the old salty sailor incarnate. Right. Normally. Describing somebody as a caricature I would say would be a bad thing, but in this case I I think it works really well. This film just embraces And Robert Robert Pattinson starts more as the straight man, the average I I think that's
1: why it works, because there's such
2: foils at first. It doesn't feel too over the top per
0: se.
1: Foils is the word.
0: And by the end, they've become almost interchangeable. In They've, they've sort of joined in a collective madness. Uh, I, I think that this film is a sister film to The Witch in more than just that it's directed by the same filmmaker. It is heavily based around superstition and uh, how superstition can sort of uh, make you go crazy. In The Witch, there's a little bit uh, more of a direct supernatural element, but they both seem to be about a character who is trying and failing to be uh, what they picture for themselves and sort of in the end, being granted forbidden knowledge. This film does that much more indirectly because I don't think there's really any supernatural elements in this film. I don't know about you guys. I mean, I think
2: it's...
1: More ambiguous in that front than the witches. The elements are are there to be seen Expli- in the film, ra- but, are, but are are the the supernatural natural elements real? Explicitly or supernatural, supernatural I mean, unreliable
0: yeah. Yeah. narrator. What are you going to do? Sure. Like, um, that's... but but that's what I mean. That there's that it's nothing nothing explicitly supernatural happens that cannot be explained away as a effect of madness. Mm-hmm. Whereas in The Witch, in the first 20 minutes, you know there is a witch and magic is being Correct. done. There is, you know, there is a, a legitimate supernatural threat. That being said, the way that the dread is built up in this film as compared to The Witch, I think is done very similarly. Yes. There's a lot more uh, brevity yes. in this.
1: Mm-hmm. And I very much so appreciated it. I, I love The Witch to bits and I was gratified to see the same director not go all cards misery again. Like not to to play full on into it. Because the witch is a delightfully miserable film. The family is like misery incarnate from the beginning. They choose misery as a form of life, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Whereas this very film, Puritan. Yes, exactly. And and fitting. And this movie, uh it has a degree of genuine Uh, It has has a genuine quality to it for not going that same direction and and having lots of moments where you're laughing. And it's often uncomfortable laughter. uh, Yeah, that's the thing. I,
0: I think it's important to distinguish. There's definitely... It's ballsy. There's definitely some levity at times. We all did, you know, share a handful of laughs during the film but I would not describe this movie as comedic. Yeah, and
1: I, I don't think that any of those moments undercut the horror or... No, not you know, well. If anything, it, just, it brings the, it closer to you.
0: Yeah, because really? the easiest way to deflect horror is with laughter, and it's often used as a coping mechanism for that reason, and there are a few times where there feels like it's uh, some it's like a joke or a bit or something to try to sort of deflect the horror of the situation, yeah. but it doesn't really. And yeah, by the characters,
1: like they're right. they're yeah, making yeah. any attempt at all to, to bring some light into this situation, you know, by whatever horrible means they have. I like that a lot. It, it really does feel like the character's trying for brevity uh, while things are going to hell. I was saying on the way out of the theater that you get a sense that it, it doesn't care uh, how the viewer feels about a lot of circumstances, a lot of the the, the hard hitting audio impact sounds come after the dark moments. If you ever caught that, like there were uh, time, like when he when he finds the body or or the head in the trap, the lighthouse sound comes in after, or the the instrumental hit comes. Oh yeah, in afterwards. sure. So the movie leaves you to kind of figure out how you feel about it first, and then it kind of follows through. It's well appreciated. Like, so many other films would have, like, the building strings and the... It would want to lead you into a moment of horror and tell you beforehand.
0: It gives you a second to register what you're seeing as well. Much like just stumbling upon something horrible is, like, the moment of terror isn't going to be the instant you see it. It's going to be after your brain registers it for a second, and then the, the screaming starts. Which is
1: cool because that's even part of, like, Robert Pattinson's Confession. Right? is like after he kills the guy, he says, like, and all I wanted afterwards was to have a cigarette. Right. Like, it hadn't hit him yet. And it doesn't hit him until he's on this island. Until he's in this perfectly terrible place for him to have that revelation over what he's done. Yeah. That's cool. The film follows that lead. Awesome.
2: I like how they use that within the terms of the single location. It almost makes the lighthouse feel like a sort of purgatory for the characters. Robert Pattinson's character... Winslow is trying to escape the whole time and slowly more and more is uncovered about that. And you kind of see the madness as he tries to come to grips with that and uh, come to closure with that. The claustrophobia of just the single location just builds on that so
1: well. There's a there's an v- excellent word for it. Willem Dafoe uses it in his first little monologue, and that's doldrums. I was really lucky, like, I mean, I grew up, like, hearing a lot of nautical terms, and, you know, I've read, like, the first two of the 20 Master and Commander books, (laughs) and, uh, (laughs) um, you know, anyway, I love nautical stuff, a lot. And so, with the witch, I was, you know, a little more in the dark for the dialogue, and you have to sort of go back and maybe watch it a time or two again to to kind of let it all sink in and appreciate it. And uh, this film, all certainly have to do the same, you know, for a lot of moments. But there's I was lucky; I was able to yeah. pick up on there's a lot of talking in this movie. more than I was expecting to, and I was I was I was uh, I enjoyed that. But point is, one of those things is the doldrums, which is when you're out at sea and there's no wind and you're just caught out. That can affect you for days and weeks at a time and that's that's generally when the effects of you know like cabin fever start to to take play in this case these sailors only have each other uh, just
0: out with the boys
1: mm -hmm. they have to use booze to cope
0: Let's unpack the 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 purgatory thing a little bit, sure. Because uh, I think I think you're you're definitely onto something that I wanted to to mention is that at a certain point it does feel like they're being punished. You know, they mm-hmm. that that their their isolation and their sort of imprisonment is is a form of punishment where they lose track of time and just lose track of everything. Purgatory is a really great descriptor for that and i think that there's a hard line moment where it becomes that oh yeah well, where where the the lighthouse and the island goes from being a maybe somewhat boring and monotonous job to truly being purgatory yeah well, where you cannot leave and you're be you are having to purge your sins from yourself
1: the boilerplate of this film can can be summed up pretty clearly and cleanly and i love that this film it's is is meandering and maddening and off kilter as it is uh is very clear in its intent and that is consequence for action yeah right and i love you know and it's it's that same it's that lovecraftian concept of you know seeking out that forbidden knowledge or even dig this Promethean because what does Prometheus do? Gives he, fire He grabs the light. flame. Yeah and how does the movie end? The film ends with him grabbing the light and then falling down the staircase to earth and him lying on the rocks as the the gulls eat his guts and it's Prometheus. Like, that's Prometheus chained to the rocks as the birds eat eat his guts. It's a gorgeous shot, and I wish, I wish I knew the name of the the painter who did that piece, but there's a, there's a, there's a beautiful painting of, of that, uh, or not beautiful, but horrifying painting of of Prometheus. Like, I love, I love that, that classical depiction, and it's so gratifying to see, like, those sorts of homages and references done well. Prometheus, you know, grabbing flame is, is nothing that hasn't been done before. There are, there are many things in this movie that have been done before, but it, it does them so well.
0: Well, here's uh, an idea that I had, and I'm not even suggesting necessarily this is what I think happened, but uh, I would like to get y'all's opinion on it. I think that you could make an argument for them dying halfway through the film. And the last half of the film being either a, a, a dying hallucination or purgatory, if you would.
1: Well, the film is definitely non-linear. We see that in uh, several small draws. Uh, for instance, um, Willem Dafoe's limp disappears occasionally uh, when he's dancing. And most well, importantly, he's Pattinson's hand is burned. He refers to it as tetanus. But it's his hand after he stuck it in the light.
0: No, 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 no. That was from him punching the clock. Yeah, and cutting up his hand, and Willem Dafoe telling him he was going to get tetanus from from having a, an open wound. I didn't read that as yeah. His hand that's being not burned. how I read it either. Well, it's it's like, it's that retelling. Like it's it's
1: that the reality keeps changing as they're on the island. At first, Willem Dafoe says that that his leg was broken, and then later on, he says that. Scurvy got it. Got us like.
2: I mean, it's pretty clear that Willem Dafoe's character is a liar. They're both dry. liars. Yeah. That's yeah.
0: that's the thing is that you're initially in the film looking for who is your reliable narrator. You think it's Robert Pattinson. He seems like the honest, straightforward type. And then you realize that neither of them are honest. Yeah, in no, there's any, no reliable narrator. And anything well. that they've been telling each other this whole time could be lies, which is part of the the madness of it. Which I which I I like a lot, but I didn't read the film as as nonlinear. I I read it as deliberately mystifying in order to make it hard to tell how much time has passed. But I think all of the events were portrayed pretty pretty linearly. Yeah, I agree actually. I think the the, the unreliable recollections from both the characters is not that things have played out different ways, but that they are just liars that they are that they are sinful and that's why they're being punished yeah, and, or and, why at least they feel like they're being punished because because they're dishonest
2: well i don't agree that the the narrative is particularly non-linear it is very dreamy you know there are a lot of scenes where are they are hallucinations and but there's very little to distinguish them from reality. Yes, uh, there's an ambiguity to a lot of it. Which you don't, you don't know whether the film is telling you yeah. the
0: truth either. But what my back to my point that I think that you you could potentially make the argument for you know them them having died at some point in the film is that the first half, maybe a little less than half of the film is pretty straightforward. It's well paced, but it's it's slow. And deliberate and quiet. There's not a whole lot of talking in it. But you know, there's a lot of
1: farting though.
0: There's a shitload of farting. <laughs> the first, <laughs> Willem, the
1: first human noise in the movie is a fart. Yeah, yeah.
0: Willem Dafoe farts a lot in this movie. IBS champion. Hell yeah,
1: Willem Dafoe.
0: And, and even so, you know, in their in their dinner conversations, you know, they talk about looking forward to being able to go back to the mainland when they're up. But you know, it's just four weeks, and they don't have much of a problem. You know. But then on their last night, before the ship is supposed to come pick them up, Willem Dafoe finally convinces Robert Pattinson to have a drink. Willem Dafoe drinks every night, but for the whole time, Robert Pattinson has stayed sober, you know, trying to be responsible, not fucking around with that. And on that last night, they get insanely drunk. The next day is when all of the crazy shit starts happening, where the madness sets in. Immediately. It's not even like a slow burn. It's just immediately their, you know, holes in their stories are falling apart and everything like that. And I think that that you could you could read it as they died sometime that night, either from alcohol poisoning or being drunk and running around and, you know, falling off the cliff or something. Well, I I see some of that, too. The water being poisoned. or, or the water being poisoned. I, I see some of that, too, as
2: kind of playing into the themes of escape. Mm-hmm. Um, because after Robert Pattinson starts drinking, it's obvious that he has an addiction. Yeah. You know, he's a bit of an alcoholic. A bit. Uh, to say the least. And um, I'm sure he knew it, too, which he, is why yes, he didn't drink yes. up until that and, point. And uh, the whole thing until then was escaping right. yourself and your fate. Once that kicks back in, it plays right into those themes of accepting your fate and succumbing to your weaknesses and uh, addictions and whatnot.
0: Another aspect that I really like is... Uh in the first half of the film he's uh he keeps seeing this one eyed seagull that is just like completely shit heel harassing him, <laughs> like getting in his way, tapping on his window at night and then flying off willem Defoe keeps telling him, don't kill a seabird it's bad luck i did
1: actually I missed the seagull being one eyed
0: yeah, it's like an Odin yeah. situation. I know Odin's like a crow, but I don't know. Like, I, is there a symbolism in that I don't? I don't I know. I mean, William Defoe says later you don't kill a seabird because they're the souls of sailors. Souls of sailors you know, one-eyed, salty old sailor pirate. You know, whatever. <laughs> I, I think I think that they did that from a filmmaking perspective, just so you would know for sure that it's the same. Gull, oh wait, wait—the head in the lobster, lobster basket. Time. Did it only have one eye? The
1: what? The head in the lobster basket.
0: Yes. Oh,
1: there you go. Oh, my God. It was his soul.
0: Holy shit. <laughs> that's I right. think you might be right. Yeah, yeah, that's it. The seagull is the, the See, soul of his is- former... Oh mm-hmm. my god! This is what you guys get. Like when
1: we, we record right after watching a movie like this, <laughs> like you get yeah. to hear our revelations in real time. <laughs> I didn't.
0: You're absolutely right. We find out that Willem Dafoe killed his former uh, assistant, and Robert Pattinson finds his head in the lobster trap, yeah. and it is one eye. And then Robert
1: Pattinson kills him again
0: as, the, as the bird.
1: Yeah, doing the same thing as him, repeating the cycle.
0: See, it's what I mean about it being a I mean, cyclical there's movie. there's no doubt that they're it's the same person. There's no doubt that it's cyclical. Okay, they're yeah, both named Thomas. Let's talk about that. I was really afraid from the beginning of this movie that they were going to do something like, "Ooh, they're actually the same person." Yeah, it's all a dream, he's a ghost. And then once they revealed that they're both named Thomas, I was even more afraid. Of that. <laughs> I'm really glad they didn't do that. I mean, I understand from I mean, a, they did. They just didn't well, make from, it a huge plot
1: point which they is yeah they,
0: they represent each other willem dafoe is supposed to represent what robert pattinson can become so in that sense they are the same but i was i'm talking about literally i thought there was going to be a literal revelation that they are yeah the exact, it's not that it's they not are like the same a fucking
1: tyler durden situation or <laughs> right? something. i
0: was terrified yeah. of like, that well
1: and the, the reason it's saved of that is because Tyler Durden still exists in our reality, but this movie, like, the real twist of it is that it's an allegory. Yes. Like, and so that's what, that's the saving grace. If, if the film had existed, like, you know, in a reality, that would still be the case. And that's right. that's where it saves itself, I think, on every front. Every magical realism thing that they pull it is relatively justified because it is allegory.
0: And they start out not being the same, too. Like, yeah. the idea is that Willem Dafoe is what Robert Pattinson is capable Capable of becoming and will become and does become. Sure. I appreciate that because I was really afraid that it was just going to be like the same person. Yeah. And, and it's, it's never same. addressed
1: as a twist or anything. No. And th- thank God.
0: Well, because like you said, it's allegory. It's not mm-hmm. literal. Mm-hmm. Robert Eggers is much smarter than that, but it's only his second film. I went into it knowing that there might be a way that he disappointed me, and uh, fortunately he didn't. Can we talk about the
2: aesthetic a little bit? Absolutely. Um, I was very impressed by the aesthetic. I had read somewhere that they used old World War II era cameras for it. Like filmos? Uh, I believe so. It's or, the, qua- the image quality um, is so good. If they did or like, that's or old film impressive. stock yeah. specifically made for the, the shoot. It is on a very particular yeah. 4 by 3 aspect ratio. Mm-hmm. It which is black and white. You don't see very often anymore. The last movie I've seen like that was like Ida a couple of years back. But I think the four by three aspect ratio works really well in this movie. Extremely. To I, build a sense of claustrophobia. I'm neutral
0: about it. Mm-hmm. It didn't hurt the film at all for me, but it also didn't do anything for me in particular. I, I do think that it definitely, in 2019, is a very bold aesthetic choice that I respect the hell out of.
1: Mm-hmm. And black and white to boot.
0: Black and white to boot, you know. I mean, black and white. You you get you get black and white films that get acclaim and stuff, but uh, it's still it's still more rare. And I think that for this film, it was the perfect aesthetic. Here's
1: what I'll say: I I don't think the film would have worked <laughs> if it was widescreen and black and white, or if it was the same uh, formatting but in color. I think I think that the the fact that it's both help each other very much, and you get a you know something that feels like it's out of you know, out of that time.
2: Well, and to boot, I think the black and white in this film is very particular since it's shot on old film stock. The whites are very dull for much of it until you get those intense hits with the uh the lighthouse itself yeah. and it really makes them stand out all the more because the all the other whites mm-hmm. are grayish you know throughout the film the
0: blacks are very deep some of it would be i would say verging near underexposure if it didn't look so damn good yeah uh i guess it's not necessarily uh, conventional in that case. I, I won't say that it's underexposed. I think it looks incredible. Yeah. I, I loved, I loved the cinematography. Well, the it is. It's with... the same cinematographer as The Witch.
1: I do, um, I do most of my paintings like in black and white before I even approach with color. And this film uh, is an excellent study on comparative contrast. A light only looks as bright as it is next to a darker dark. So if you put a gray next to a light. You know, it, it doesn't look as light. But if you put a dark next to a light, it looks very bright. And so, and comparatively, if you have a dark dark and you put a gray next to it, it looks light. So they get away with that most of the movie where it's really just blacks and grays. And then finally you see these, you know, these <laughs> darker lights. And you see the real light lights and it, it just has such an impact. So powerful.
0: I, I, I think my favorite shot in, in the film is during uh Willem Dafoe's curse when he's sort of cursing Robert Pattinson oh. for for not admitting when they're both drunk as shit and he's he says, "Admit you fancy my lobster." Uh, <laughs> trying to admit that Robert Pattinson likes his cooking because Robert Pattinson keeps saying, "Like now nah, you're cooking his shit." Just during that that super long take on Willem Dafoe when he is like hellfire and brimstone cursing Robert Pattinson or seawater and brimstone, yeah, yeah.
1: calling motherfucking Poseidon to drown his ass.
0: The the lighting on his face is animalistic it's amazing yeah, yeah it's incredible it's, it's so subtle but the longer you look at it the less human he looks and it's literally only a trick of the lighting and part was of that eyes would, and teeth that, by the end yeah that shit just blew me away I think it's such it such a long take it was too.
2: emphasized yeah. a little bit with makeup as well probably um, yes. to really emphasize the darks um because he almost does look inhuman yes. after a certain point and it's just incredibly done. Yeah, it's harrowing.
0: I, I was affixed to my seat during that scene. That was really a. Uh, and I mean, a lot of it is just dude's performance. He's he's a very very good actor. The man's a pro. Uh, yeah. Willem Dafoe is the fucking man. Willem Dafoe. Damn, good one. <laughs> Willem Dafoe. <Dupreau. laughs> the light. Let's talk about the light. All right. I wouldn't necessarily say that it's the impetus of their madness, but it's certainly the fixation of their madness. I love how much of a nebulous concept that it remains. I was afraid that we were going to get an explanation at the end, because for the entire film, Robert Pattinson is kept away from it. Willem Dafoe locks it. He's the only one who tends the light. And we see him having sort of a you know hypnotized state, when he's near it and when he talks about it. And the whole movie is Robert Pattinson trying to grasp that light. And when he does, it is immediately his downfall. Well, the thing I love about it is there's such
2: Literally. a yes. thematic cohesion with it. Uh huh. Throughout the movie, you get these hallucinatory sequences of kind of siren songs and... Uh, a mermaid, mermaid keeps uh,
0: appearing, yeah.
2: ...pulling... The character underwater temptation. temptation. Yeah. I, I see the, the the light itself as kind of a siren song as well. Absolutely. That brings people to madness in trying to capture it in a lot of
1: ways. Yeah. In you know, forbidden knowledge. That forbidden flame.
0: Right, exactly. Flame. I mean, I would say it's it's definitely more so of of a captivation than the than the siren herself because When we see her, she is horrifying. He has a couple of fantasies about uh, banging her, but I think that's... Which we do need to unpack. Do we? Yes.
1: (laughs) Yes, we do. They're awesome. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Are you saying that because tentacles? (laughs) Yeah, man. Oh, my God. I was... No. I'm
0: (laughs) I'm saying it,
1: dog. I'm saying it because it was was very... um... That sequence reminded me so much of Tetsuo the Bullet Man, of all things. Yeah, very reminiscent for me of Sugimoto, who's often been described as uh, very similar to um, David Lynch. I haven't seen as many Lynch-esque works. Did y'all get Lynch vibes off of this?
0: At moments, yeah, I think so.
1: Specifically that scene. The closest thing I could compare it to with the flashing imagery in black and white was Tetsuo the Bullet Man.
0: I think you could... That scene, you know, if you're talking Lynch, maybe you could compare it to the opening scene of the Elephant Man, but... That sexualization of horror, too. There's, like just there's, really yeah, yikes, there's there's yikes. some there's some body horror. There's a big old fish yeah. pussy, uh,
2: which well, is it horrifying. Al- it also kind of reminds me... Of the movie we'll talk about next week The Shining a little bit Yeah Um, There are several What almost felt like direct references A a lot of
0: Shining comparisons Yeah yeah Similarly, and we won't talk too much about The Shining because that's for next week, but similarly, it's about uh, isolation uh, leading to madness. And they and both also, feature a scene with a man running with an axe! Yeah. Limping! <laughs> ru- uh, a limping yeah, yeah. run with an axe. Willem Dafoe straight up does the fucking Jack Nicholson uh, uh, hobble. The, the nod was needed, and it was definitely
1: self-aware. Um, uh,
0: yeah, 100%. But back to know. the fish pussy. <sighs> Well, I'd rather trying what to What a transition. Rather <laughs> trying to move what, past... What, are you guys uncomfortable? I mean, I'm trying to move past the fish pussy. I, I am uncomfortable, and that's why that scene was effective. But that's <laughs> true. That's to my point, is that the the mermaid, the siren, who you know lures in sailors with her beauty and her song, is uh, much more monstrous in this film. And Robert Pattinson is often running from her rather than running to her he Much has like some the he has some some sexual fantasies but they are, they seem to be more against his uh, his better judgment uh he he seems repulsed by the idea well the uh, uh, the
2: idea behind that it, how i read it is even though he's running from it he can't escape it Um, much like he can't escape
1: his own fate in the film. You know, that's another... Sure. There's another comparative to The Witch, right? Because The Witch has those similar motifs about temptation and wouldst thou like to live deliciously. Exactly. You know, and The Witch, you know, ends with... Falling and she does that yeah. temptation yeah, exactly in the same way and that's well
0: that's because rad. there's because there's nothing left at that point yeah. similarly at, at the end when he is finally able to ascend the tower and mm-hmm. grasp the light is because at that point there is nothing left he has thrown everything away and that's my point about the lighthouse being exactly like you said Ben the true siren yes. of of the film that the that the literal siren or hallucinogenic siren is driving him away and he's running towards the light much like the witch it's that i i don't have anything left i've destroyed everything else i've thrown everything away for this last thing you know the the object of of my salvation and then in unlike the witch with uh thomason uh another tom name weird uh but unlike the witch with thomason ascending into the night sky with the other witches this one ends with robert Pattinson falling down a staircase
1: <laughs> true
0: which, good subversion. I expected that shot of him, uh, like, screaming as oh. he opens the light, which was great. God, the sound design. I thought that was going to be yeah. the last shot. Oh, I loved it. I thought it. they were going to cut to credits after that, but Same. then to have him then fall back, all the way back down the stairs, good subversion. Well, like a true siren,
2: you know, it's not actually
1: salvation.
2: Oh, no, it's, of course not. It's punishment, and it's
1: a false it's, light on the shoreline. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It it draws you into the rocks. It does not, you know, warn you away. Right.
0: Great way to end the film, too. Uh, After he kills Willem Dafoe with an axe, neither of them get out alive. One last thing I
2: want to touch on really quick, and we mentioned it just a second ago, is the sound design and the music. Both just excellent. Excellent stuff. Um, I love how they use the lighthouse's siren as kind of a motif. The signal
0: horn, yeah. Yeah,
2: and kind of, at times, an element of the madness itself, because it's so loud and overbearing, and it's constant.
0: The score is by Mark Corvin, who also did the score for The Witch and, uh, also the score for In the Tall Grass, that new Stephen King Netflix movie that just came out. Oh, splendid. I've been meaning to watch. Um, and I saw he also did the score for The Terror, which is a very good show. The sound design in the score is incredible. The, the signal house blast, like they start the film with that. It really becomes maddening by the end. Yeah,
1: because it, it carries on throughout the whole film. It's like the one consistent. Yeah. If you don't see the lighthouse, you hear the horn yeah always
0: wow and it, it never gets old
1: i mean it's a great effect but it's yeah like, no, i never it, got tired of it
0: it definitely feels maddening but in a good way yeah. because you're supposed to be losing your mind with these characters and that does a great job to do that mm-hmm. repetition man also the
1: mermaid like really wretched like orca scream Oh call yeah, it, like the dolphin-like sound that even like Pattinson does during his like his like orgasm is oh yeah so he's jerking
0: off horrifying man like yikes it's, it's just. mm That's another great example of sound design, because in that scene, when she's washed up on the shore, she's laughing at him, but they cut out the sound and just replace it with that screaming. So she is laughing, but that is the sound that's coming out. That's really wretched. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) So spooky. And like flashing to the the face of the person that he killed and like the stabbing of harpoons and that like sexualization of violence and penetration. Yikes. Just horrible, yeah. like just deeply unsettling. Frankly, uh, one last thing too about the ratio is that there's a lot you can do with a a near square ratio. Uh, your your composition largely changes. It's not broken down any longer to an X and thirds in the same way. Like it's it's a much cleaner like singular X. Uh, there's a lot of wonderful shots that always key in towards the center. There's like so a lot walls of symmetry. and objects, yeah, yeah that are yeah. always like like in the center of the shot. Only once or twice does it feel like it's splitting the shot. Usually, it feels like it's drawing you into the middle. Their
0: early you... dinner scenes with the with the the single light source on the table, the lantern.
1: It would have been, I believe, less effective in a a wide format because you don't have. Your extended sides to ground you. You're left rotating. Any side can be the floor, and it's never overworked or overdone. It's always quite subtle. But I mean, my there's favorite, several
0: shots where it's straight up just rotating. Circling. Yeah, it's true, but it's <laughs> not the
1: camera's rotating. You know, like and it's always used for like a very clear effect. Again, I just if you'd had your sides to ground you, you would have felt like the camera's rotating. Mm-hmm. And not only for like your vertical sense of directionality, but also like up to down in that the shot before the last ends with him like rolling down the staircase with this beautiful, just downward shot, you know, Mm. direct down the staircase and it fades into the sky and you just have this, this feeling of inversion before the camera pans back down to him on the rocks. And there's just, it's just such a wonderful transition because you're just sent up and then down again and down sort of becomes up.
0: Yeah, I I really like how that last shot of of him on the shore being eaten by the gulls as it pulls out there's kind of a like a soft white vignette around it. Like it, it, in in context of the shot it appears to be fog, but it as it pulls out it almost makes it seem like he has become part of the light mm-hmm. yeah. that like it's pulling out and the light is sort of closing in around him. And that even though he has died, he is, you know, he is now within the light. I, I think it's a really excellent way to close the film as it cuts to credits right after that. And it I do a wonderful like... sea shanty. Yeah. Sea <laughs> yeah. shanty credits and the exact same font for the credits as the witch. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be his M.O. <laughs> I hope so. It looks good. He, he, he does what he does well.
1: The state of the house changing was, was excellent, and uh, how it all begins to fall apart. I love. I love. It's never directly said that Willem Dafoe uh, is is working him so hard so that he falls asleep from exhaustion at night so he can get up to whatever to his to his lighthouse hijinks. And mm-hmm. um, never directly says that.
0: Well, we never actually see Robert Pattinson going to bed either. His days almost always end with uh, some kind of hallucination, and then he wakes up mm-hmm. a lot. I think that is a a really great way to uh make the viewer lose track of time oh, as sure. well i mean there's, there's inception
1: yeah. you know does the same there's there's some wonderful examples of that yeah it's sure. like he's always like he's always showing the going to bed just
0: he's always waking, waking up. up but never fought but he's never going to sleep that happens a lot when what, drinking, what an eternal too. hell
1: honestly god could you imagine i would not want to be i mean that's, up that's that's literally the worst
0: it, it escalates in the second half when they're getting insanely drunk every single night like to extreme excess and those scenes always just end and then they wake up <laughs> like there's never and yeah. like there's never any going to sleep i love that at when they run out of booze they just start drinking oil oil, mm-hmm. and he, oil. yeah and he mixes it with with honey at the end is that what he's trying to do and the, when they're sitting at the floor of the lighthouse he's got Got the oil and he like dips something into it i think he was trying to mix it with honey to yeah. make it taste better well
1: because the only other goo that we see in the movie is the octopus goo from willem defoe's butt
0: yeah <laughs> which we, we also know. didn't unpack <laughs> i
1: mean but i don't know if that need you know like uh, that, i think that says it all really
0: that kind of falls just under the category of the Robert Pattinson's many hallucinations yeah. in the film. Well,
1: I mean, I think I think it's pretty directly, you know, explained. You know, he's that's why he's farting so much, is there's an octopus <laughs> way up there. Big old making, squid. Making just... lots of goo. Yeah. Cause like there's a lot of shots of like his stomach of like Willem Dafoe's stomach, too, just to like give you that horrible
0: sense of dread that there's something in there that's ugh. And we know now what it is. It's an octopus making goo. Yep, way up there. It's shitting out goo. Yep. Well, I think that's a great place to drop a yeah. rating. It's,
1: just, it's an unsettling movie, people. It, it's, it's deep. Don't, don't let my jokes lead you astray. It, it is deeply
0: unsettling. <laughs> well, why, do, why, don't, why don't you start with your rating, Cleve? Five. Okay. okay. Easy peasy. Um, no, ben. no must, no fuss. That's a five for me. Uh, I yeah,
2: I, I love how open-ended it is. Some movies with ambiguity like this, it just leaves it vague. Um, Where this movie, it has such a thematic coherence and through line that it never feels vague while it's still open-ended and open for interpretation in a lot of respects. And for that reason, I feel like it's very literary in a lot of ways. How you can go back to the well multiple times with this. Um, It's a very rich movie in that respect. Um, It's also incredibly done. The acting is incredible. It's a five for me as well.
0: I'll just go ahead and give it a rating and then I have one more point I want to bring up because I think you you made a really excellent point that uh, it manages to be esoteric without being vague – uh, I'll just go ahead and say that, yeah, this is an incredibly solid film. It's a, a really excellent character study, two powerhouse performances, gorgeous cinematography, so much to unpack. I don't think you can possibly do it with one viewing. Yeah, I'm going to give it a five as well. Uh, so that's another perfect five out of five for The Lighthouse. Two in a row. Two in a row. Indeed. Um Now, the last thing I want to unpack on the subject of being vague is when we were driving home from this movie, I started thinking about Hagazusa. Oh, I was going to... Oh, I know! And how this film, all of my problems with Hagazusa, everything that I brought up in our discussion, this film is the example of how to do those things right.
1: You're so right. And you know, you know what? The difference can be summed up, uh, I think, it, like this. Inherently, it is the difference between a student film and a film that is studied by students. Sure. Right. How I mean, you this the is only this is only Robert Egger's
0: it. second film, though. Like, I it's barely past a student film from that perspective. Yeah, you know? and I I feel like that's a really easy crutch to. to I put. don't. I don't think you're wrong though. Be as somebody who has been a film student, and the idea of wanting to make a film that. Replicates your favorite directors, but also has like its own implicit meaning, but not being able to fully realize that.
1: Yeah, and riddled with symbolism. I I can
0: I can recognize that. There's a lot
1: of elements of the lighthouse that I think could be comparable to a student film. The fact that it uses it, it relies so heavily on allegory. Uh, for its through line, the extreme stylistic choice.
0: Well, uh, rather, these are these are things that film students tend to focus on more yes. so than anything. Well, that's the thing. I, I think
2: it works in this movie because it's not about the details. It's about the the bigger picture with the details adding towards that. Well, it's about, it, Whereas it, it, stuff like Haga Sousa is so focused on the details that it loses the through line and the main themes and ideas. Well that
0: right, that's that's the thing. Mm-hmm. The Lighthouse working, is a The Lighthouse is a film that is an excellent example of madness being analyzed from a superstitious perspective. And that's what Hagazusa is all about. Like what if mental illness in the Middle Ages, you know, equals witchcraft. Well, like, this film has that same thematic through line but it does it in a way that is not completely empty. <laughs> <laughs> we Don't need to get too much into it. Yeah, or should on Hawkins
1: was like, you know, that much, but listen to the episode about it, you know, like we we didn't we didn't hate it, hate it. Yeah, uh, I, well, y'all did, but I I No, no, I liked no
0: it. Ben did. I just I was just above hating it. I, <laughs> I liked enough of the elements. But anyway, The Lighthouse does much better what Hagazusa sets out to do. I Agreed. Think. Agreed I think, I think they I think they have very similar goals, but the outcome is uh, markedly better in The Lighthouse. That's all that I wanted to say
1: on that matter. I, I'd be willing to believe that a lot of people um, are not going to like this movie. I'm worried about its ratings, but I I love the hell out of it.
0: Really. Sure. It's been it's been getting Yeah, very people have good. Seen it yeah. been well, good. loving been, it. Been good yeah, for, never mind. I mean, just like The Witch,
2: like e- The Witch has been surprisingly well received by normies, I would say, <laughs> you know, like cuz it's a really fucking good movie. <laughs> well, that's the <laughs> like, thing. It's very slow and atmospheric, yeah. but it's so I think atmospheric the, that atmospheric kind of breaks breaks that threshold for a lot of people.
0: I think The Witch has kind of gained more renown too as it's been out longer like it's been on netflix for a while which Mm -hmm. is a good get for a movie like the witch but like when it when it first came out it felt very small it had such a limited release, you know, like not that many people were talking about it. And I think that because of its growing acclaim over the last few years, I think it's really helped out this film.
2: Yeah, and there's so many people. Our thea- there I've... were
0: a lot of people in our theater. Yeah,
2: there were. And there's so many people I've talked to over the past couple of years who aren't even into horror movies, but they love The Witch. Yeah. And I think that's just because it's so immersive detail-oriented while having those thematic through lines that it just crosses the threshold beyond genre film to something greater. And I think this film hits that as well, so.
1: There's another comparative movie that we we haven't brought up yet. That's Shape of Water.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, in in the fish-fucking sense only, Cleveland... (laughs) And this is. I'm done. And this was much more horrifying, as fish fucking should be, than romanticizes in the shape of water. I'll I'll leave
1: that up to subjectivity. uh, But (laughs) um, all I like shape water. But uh,
0: yeah. On that note, why don't you give us a word from our sponsor? This week is brought to you by um, uh, Thomas Thomason
1: and Sons of Thomas's Thomas and Sons. Cod... uh, Luber... Oil. (laughs) Yikes! Are we sure we want these guys as a sponsor? I don't know how I feel about that. You're the one who
0: found them, Cleve. I didn't find shit. This was this was just in the sponsor shelf. Uh, well, then, then you better f- keep reading but, it. Oh man, I, I really don't want to. the sponsor <laughs> shelf will be mad if yeah, you yeah. I don't want oh, the we, punishment we of the sponsor, the sponsor shelf. shelf. Oh man, how do we get this kind of a pickle? Tell us about Luber oil. Uh, it's it's for um. Uh, Have you ever? But don't get too blue. This is a family podcast. Yeah, of
1: course. I wouldn't. I would never dream of such a thing. Uh, Cod, luber oil, is is for those uh, uh, lost at sea who've had a long series of nights without being able to move move their tall ships if you want to do that, you better drink your cod liver oil. Move those tall ships. Fish
2: (laughs) pussy. No. (laughs) Fish pussy.
0: No. (laughs) Well. No. Absolutely not. Well, as always, we thank our sponsor for their generous sponsorship. You can. Of this podcast, Cleveland. Don't anger it. How are we going to get paid otherwise? I don't know, man. Are we... Okay. All right, fine. Thank you. Thank you, sponsor. Yeah, thank thank you, sponsor. Now, next week, in preparation for Dr. Sleep, we're going to talk about The Shine and... With a special guest, The Shining, and a special guest, it must be Christmas. Mm-hmm. But it's only Halloween. Yep. I mean, The Shining is obviously one of our uh, big classics that's been on the list for forever. But spoiler, you know, we like it. When when is the the right time to talk about The Shining? Well, before the sequel comes out, I guess. So get ready, here we go. But until then. Make sure to sail your tall ship on over to Apple Podcasts, and keep thinking about those beans. <laughs> and a vast spot the five stars and. Uh set sail for <laughs> good for, ratings for a good review <laughs> um or uh you can also follow us on twitter at pod, pod and at letterboxd.com slash pod people for the list of all the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to those reviews we got another golden pod two weeks in a row. Bing bang boom, unanimous five. Couldn't be
2: more different five star movies. Right, from <laughs> Troll Two. <laughs> if you haven't listened to last week's episode
0: on Troll Two, go do so. It's great. We had a fucking awesome time, and uh, yeah. So you can also follow me on Twitter at Mister Van Awesome. I'm at Mister Sheets. I am tweeting f- uh,
1: for Light art Studio as we continue to develop our kick-ass, super spooky game. It steers Back. Go check it out. It's an early access on Steam. You know the dr- the deal. You sure do. And the drill. And the drill. Yar, the drill. Yar. You, she you she be it.
0: six U.S. dollars. Ahoy!
1: At the time of recording. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> At the time. Of- and,
1: and probably listening. <laughs> Unless you're in the future.
0: All right, well, happy Halloween, folks! Hope you got a lot of candy and got to dress up as something spooky and watch some scary movies, cause tis the season, and that's the reason that we are the Pod Boys and we are setting sail for spookier waters. <laughs>